Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. We're going to have a great show for you today. I know there's a lot of heaviness in the world today, and we're going to try to bring lots of hope, and and we're going to give you a lot of reasons to feel encouraged, because as followers of Christ, we know uh, that our needs will be met according to the glorious riches in Christ Jesus. I've got Rob Louie coming up in just a minute, and Dr. Greg Borgon's going to be in, and then psychologist Dr. Andy Scuttinga is going to be in in here for the whole hour. I want to ask him about what's it like when we start to hole up at home. Well, how does that affect our mental health when we're so far out of our routine? It's going to be an interesting show. Let me take a little break and and bring on Rob. What's your risk of dying from coronavirus? At present, your risk is low due to the early implementation of travel restrictions to and from infected countries and mandatory isolation. You actually have a greater risk of getting the flu and dying. This year, 15 to 20 million people in the U.S. will get the flu, requiring 10 million doctor visits, a quarter of a million hospitalizations, and around 20,000 deaths. If you're otherwise healthy and get coronavirus, your chance of dying is quite low, only about 1 in 500. The good news is, as it gets hotter, both the flu and the coronavirus will begin to disappear. Viruses don't survive well in warm, humid weather. This gives us a window to develop a vaccine, and clinical trials are already underway. Rest easy. Studies show that the U.S. has the best public health system in the world, excellent hospitals, and well-trained healthcare professionals. A helpful message from the Christian Medical and Dental Associations. Welcome back to the show. So glad to get a chance to talk to Rob Bluey today, executive editor at The Daily Signal. Go to dailysignal.com. Rob, welcome to the show. Thanks. It's good to be with you, Bill. Happy St. Patrick's Day. Yeah, indeed. Happy St. Patrick's Day to you. Now, uh, I've heard that COVID-19 could last until summer. And there's talk, you know, about the importance of social distancing. Yeah, well, look, it's a it's a challenge for for all Americans frankly because I mean we we know uh, our human nature is even for introverts they at least have some contact and I, I think uh, for a family like mine uh, with with a wife who was already working from home and and three kids uh, two would, who would normally be in school uh, you know it's uh, it's nice uh, to, to spend that quality time together as a family but it does create challenges uh, we still have have our jobs to do uh, even if they are remote and uh, and we still have to make sure that the kids are learning and, and not spending all day on uh, watching the television. So we're fortunately we're blessed with uh, with a beautiful weather in in uh, northern Virginia nice. here, um, so we can at least go outside and, uh, and and get some fresh air. But uh, but yeah, it is uh, it is quite different in the neighborhood. Uh, people you know keeping their their distance from one another as uh, has been advised. And, uh, and a lot of people, you know, staying home, not going out to dinner, obviously, mm-hmm. and uh, making those changes that uh, the president and everyone else has advised us to do. So 
Let's talk about just the implication that this is having on uh, Washington, D.C. I mean, I know they're talking about social distancing. Of course, every time I see a press conference, there's like nine people crammed together. But I understand they got to get together for television. Um, but what is uh, what do you think the the uh, impact will be in your town um, if we don't open restaurants and bars in the next two weeks? impact I mean uh, particularly among the the workers who who are there uh, I know in, in some cases like in Washington DC the mayor has said the restaurants can stay open uh, but they just have to do everything through takeout right. uh, as, as they said in the press conference from the White House today they're encouraging people to use apps or call ahead uh, to make sure that you know the, the food is ready when you arrive so you can spend as little time uh, interacting uh, and maybe they leave it on a shelf so you don't even have to, to physically touch somebody so I mean yes they are extreme measures but uh, but there is going to be an impact on, on those who are out of work um, and and I think that's one of the reasons why you see the response that you do I mean in, in many cases it's the government that is imposing these restrictions on uh, on these businesses and so when the government does that uh, of course the government uh, wants to provide relief and so far Congress has passed uh, one one piece of legislation which was the 8.5 billion dollar uh, piece of legislation they have a second piece which is making its way through Congress now and they're talking about really a massive uh, uh, stimulus economic relief package that uh, will be phase three. And it's, that one is the one that will be targeted to certain industries and try to help uh, those individuals who might be displaced uh, in this time. So it, uh, it'll have uh, impact financially, uh, but hopefully, as the president has said, it will stem the, the uh, you know, uh, it'll contain the virus. It will, it will prevent people from coming into contact with it, and hopefully that we will flatten the curve, as Dr. Fauci likes to say, and, uh, and that will have a big impact in terms of the, uh, what we're able to do to stop uh, the spread of coronavirus. Yeah, now, Rob, just as an aside, this Dr. Fauci, I got to say I admire him. He's 79 years old and runs three miles a day. Amazing, yes, uh, and <laughs> the fact that he's able to have the uh, the stamina and the energy that he does yeah. uh, with the, the the amount of hours I can only imagine that he is working uh, is is truly amazing. I mean, he has been a really calm, reassuring voice uh, during this crisis. I, I think people have uh, an enormous amount of trust in him, given his experience as a medical doctor, and that is uh, that is something that we need right now. Uh, I, I do really appreciate the fact that President Trump is doing daily press briefings. He's making himself available. As you've said, Bill, uh, you know, they are telling people to, to limit uh, the number of people they're in contact mm-hmm. with, and, and they are standing quite close to each other. Uh, you would hope that the White House is one of the safest places to be uh, right. because they are checking everybody before they enter. But, uh, but certainly, yes, I mean, we should, we should observe that. I mean, it makes you wonder, you know, if you have a body of 100 senators or 435 representatives, how do you actually vote on a piece of legislation when the CDC has offered these guys? Yeah. And then, Rob, there are a couple of primaries that are happening today that they're still going through with. What are your thoughts on that? That's right. Well, there's there's one not happening, and that's in Ohio. Ohio. That's uh-huh. because the governor has decided to uh, to take that one off the map. We can get to that in a moment. But the ones that are still going on, you know, I think people just needs to need to uh, you know exercise their best judgment when they vote. I, I know in Virginia, uh, you know, this was it was just starting. Uh, Virginia voted on Super Tuesday, and so when I went to the polling place that day. Uh, you know, the people were sharing. We, we, we mark ours out with, like, a pencil or a pen, and then we slide it through through a machine. And so, I mean, there was 
the fact that we were sharing pencils or pens and things like that. So just wash your hands, uh, you know, as you're opening a door, maybe sharing a pencil, doing those things. I mean, I think it's really important to practice good hygiene. Uh, hopefully in some of these places that have a limited number of cases, we, we won't see the, uh, the primary elections really having all that much of an impact. I think the governor of Ohio felt that there was too much of a risk associated with it, which is why he made the decision that he did. And I think it should be up to the individual governors to decide. And that's why you see in Louisiana and Georgia also move in a direction where they are, are going to postpone theirs. Uh, you know, in terms of the long run, I think, yes, it may delay some of the, the voting, but at the end of the day, uh, you know, we, we hopefully can get back on course here. And if the president's correct that, uh, that we'll see this, this the, the tide stemming, uh, we can get back to voting and, and doing the things that, that, you know, make this country great. Mm-hmm. What is the, uh, the word in Washington, D.C., uh, between the Republicans and the Democrats? Are we... Are both parties taking this with the same seriousness, um, or is there some skeptical, some not? What What do you understand? Yeah, I think that there's so I, I, there's always going to be some in Washington um, who try to exploit a crisis. Yeah. Uh, you know, that's you've heard you've heard politicians in the past use that language directly. I believe it was during the the last recession in in 2009 when uh, I was the White House Chief of Staff, Rahm Emanuel, under President Obama, who said, never let our crisis go to waste. So you would hope in a situation like this that they would have the best interests of the American people in mind. Uh, But at the same time, I mean, we can expect that people will try to slip things into legislation and there will be members of Congress who who maybe do the bidding of certain industries or or individuals. And so this is why uh, organizations like the Heritage Foundation exist. I mean, we have our policy experts who are working closely with the staff uh, in Congress uh, to to advocate for for principled. Uh, What we're calling targeted and temporary uh, uh, response. So it's, it's targeted to those in need, uh, those who are directly affected at this point. I think, you know, we're all directly affected probably or indirectly affected in some ways, but some need the help more than others. Um, and, and temporary in that it doesn't go on forever, but it, but it extends as far as, as uh, the pandemic, uh, you know, is, is affecting our, our work and our livelihoods. And so that's the approach that, uh, that they've taken uh, for the most part so far. I think where, where we're concerned is as they start to put ideas uh, on paper uh, for this next approach, uh, it could it could be able it could get out of control um, and and so you have different industries coming asking for bailouts and and support and uh, based on the press conference today it seems that President Trump is is willing to grant a lot of those requests uh, he says he wants to go big uh, he wants to do it uh, quickly and uh, we know whenever Congress acts quickly there's not the time for for the kind of debate and and maybe uh, attention to detail which is why they passed a 110 page bill. On Friday night, he needed to come back with 84 pages of corrections yesterday. Uh, you know that is <laughs> wow. that is certainly not reassuring uh, when it yeah. comes to to how the lawmaking process was supposed to work. Mm-hmm. And then um, let me take a little break, Rob, because I got uh, many more questions for you. Rob Louis is my guest. He's the executive editor of the Daily Signal. DailySignal.com is the website. We'll be right back.
Welcome back to the show. Rob Louie is my guest. You know, he always joins me on Tuesdays. And it is Tuesday, St. Patty's Day. Happy St. Patrick's Day to all. Um, Rob, I'm just curious with uh, what's going on in Washington. What is the Supreme Court doing right now? Well, the Supreme Court has decided to postpone its arguments that were scheduled for the March term. Uh, so this is the first time that the Supreme Court has actually done this in about uh, 100 years. I, I think the last time may have been during the, the Spanish flu um, that was uh, sweeping the country uh, over 100 years ago. So, I mean, this is, uh, this is something that even, even during the anthrax scare, um, you know, there, there was a situation where the Supreme Court couldn't meet but uh, just relocated uh, to a different location so that they could carry on its, the business. But I think, uh, you know, as a person of CDC guidance, if you're going to take that seriously and, uh, and not convene a group, of over 10 people, uh, well, you can't really operate the Supreme Court uh, in, in that, that sense. And we're, we're, not at, we're not to the point where, we're, where they're operating remotely or, or, or digitally. You know? uh, so uh, it's, uh, it's, it's probably for the best. Um, we can always uh, make up uh, oral arguments and, and delay things, uh, similar to the sports leagues. I mean, I think this is where, you know, if you play in an arena like the, uh, professional basketball or hockey, uh, you know, you can extend into the summer. I mm-hmm. mean, it might have an impact, I guess, on the next season. If you're, if you're, professional baseball player, it might be a little bit more challenging because you. I wouldn't be wanting to play any. If I were the Twins, I wouldn't want to be playing games in December, probably. No, 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 but, not uh, here. Not, not, not there. But, uh, but you know, look, this is this is all going to require adjustments on all of us. Uh, Heritage uh, Foundation and Daily Signal uh, reporters are all working remotely. Uh, we're still we, we've been able to to figure out how to record our podcasts and and do things uh, differently. And I think so. Every employer, including in places like the Supreme Court, are just uh, figuring out how to make it work. Yeah, and I but imagine anyone who at one time criticized homeschooling isn't doing it anymore. No, and and I'm glad you brought up homeschooling because we have an excellent piece on the the Daily Signal by uh, my colleague Lindsey Burke, who uh, titled "We're All Homeschoolers Now." Uh, given the uh, millions of students, uh, tens of millions of students who are now at home, uh, there are parents all over uh, looking for resources. Uh, that, that that you know, homeschool associations and homeschooling parents. Uh, have, have, you know, used for years. And so uh, hopefully this article provides, uh, you know, some some resources that they can take advantage of. Uh, I know that uh, my own kids' school, the in, in, in at least Virginia, it seems that the teachers uh, for the first two weeks are, are going to be mostly focused on caring for their own families before they do any sort of distance learning uh, type of option. So it's really uh, on, the, on the shoulders of the parents uh, to take the lead in this regard, and I think that's probably the case for many. And, of course, uh, there are some parents who have to work. If you're a health care provider, you need to be at the hospital or at the doctor's office uh, tending to those in need. Um, so our prayers go out to those families, and, uh, and I've been really encouraged to hear about the stories of churches or other uh, organizations that have stepped up to care for those children uh, at this time. When I look at uh, the need to be uh, staying indoors and being away from people, I do see that there's uh, many people flooding the beaches in Florida, and maybe they're trying to keep a six-foot distance from each other, and they think, oh, hey, I'm outside. Um, Things like that, Rob, is that a good idea, or is that sending the wrong message? Well, you know, uh, with with, uh, 
<laughs> with any decision, I think you know it, it's got to be personal. And look, if you are if you're are, are there, if you live on the beach, obviously it's one thing. If you're taking a vacation right now, I think the president himself has said that we should be limiting our travel. Uh, we should use discretion in terms of where we're going, which is why I think it's it's prudent. Uh, I, I I've told our team uh, at the Daily Signal that if you can get the job done and everybody can get the job done from home or, or remote a remote location, uh, you should do it. Um, you know probably. Uh, avoid public transportation right now and uh you know any anything where you anything you touch whether it's a doorknob or or you know the coffee machine you know there's a chance that you could be spreading uh spreading germs and i thought it was particularly enlightening for for young people to hear this message because this was emphasized at the at the press briefing at the white house today young people think that they're resilient and they very well uh, are they are less vulnerable uh from to uh you know, having some of the more severe complications of the coronavirus. At the same time, they could be putting others in danger. So I think that anybody who's thinking about taking a trip to the beach, uh, yeah, you might be safe, but uh, just think about, uh, you know, the interactions you might be having with others and and spreading the disease uh, to, to other places that you may not be intending to do. Yeah, Rob, well, let's turn the clock back 11 years to H1N1. We were younger, more cavalier. We were walking around thinking, you know, we're pretty young and invincible. That's right. We didn't I change mean, our lifestyles at all for that. Uh, it's a very good point. Um, and uh, there were, uh, you know, I think President Trump said 16,000 people who, who passed away as a result of H1N1. So, I mean, it was it was serious in yeah. terms of its impact and, and a lot of lives lost. Uh, and and some, the government maybe made some mistakes during that process in, in terms of not cautioning others. I, I actually... Knew a couple of know a couple of individuals who um, who, who who suffered through that and uh, and are still with us today. So you know we uh, we we sometimes make decisions that it's we look back and in, in retrospect and we we realize that things could have been done better. But uh, but yes, uh, you know we we are. As Dr. Fauci said, who you referenced earlier, uh, we are probably overreacting, but it's better to overreact uh, and be safe than, than it is to uh, you know, make that fatal mistake where, where we didn't take some action. So I think that that's why, uh, even though some people think uh, you know, that this is a situation where um, you know, they can still go out and do their normal, normal, normal routine, uh, no. I mean, one thing that I heard today, Bill, was really interesting, that, that they're having you know, specific times that maybe seniors go to the grocery store. Mm-hmm. versus other people so they can just avoid contact themselves. So, I, I, you know, and, and as, as uh, you know, one of the doctors said, uh, you know, we, we lose anywhere between 15,000 to 45,000 people each year due to the flu. And if some of the habits that we're developing now during the coronavirus pandemic uh, can be carried forward in the future, we may find ourselves in a better situation and saving, saving a lot of lives down the road. Yeah. Now, I saw an actor on TV. It wasn't Tom Hanks because he had tested positive. It's another actor. I think he's from the Game of Thrones. And it was a little troubling because he said, I tested positive for coronavirus and I've had no symptoms. And my first thought was, well, if you have no symptoms, why were you tested? Yeah, well... This is, uh, you know, this is one of those things where we're, we're still in the process. I mean, we, we have rapidly developed these tests, uh, the, our country, in, uh, in, in the, just the past, uh, past week or so. And, and there's a lot of misinformation still out there on the, on the testing. So, I mean, this is where I think it's really important to consult your doctor. Uh, the, the, the telemedicine and the telehealth options are, are growing stronger by the day. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was what big emphasis at, at today's, uh, today's briefing. And Seema Verma, who runs the, the Centers for Medicare
Medicare and, uh, and, and Medicaid said specifically, uh, you, should, you should call your local doctor and, and get the advice that you need. Uh, they can put you in touch with the resources to determine if you should get the test and, uh, and, and of course, where, where to go about you know, getting that test. So, I mean, it's changing day by day, but, uh, but I think that, uh, you know, anybody who, who might be listening who, who has some of the symptoms, you know, it would be well worth their, their reaching out to their doctor. That's the advice we've given uh, to our, our team. Uh, fortunately, we've, uh, we haven't had anybody. We did have people at CPAC, you know, who, who may or may not have come into contact with the individual there. That was the closest encounter we've had um, as a team. Uh, but unfortunately, we've come out of that 14-day period now, and everybody is, is safe and healthy. Mm-hmm. Rob, I just got one last question, because I'm, I'm curious there is bipartisan support for this uh, infusion of, you know, basically free money for Americans. Do you know who would get that and who would qualify? They're, they're limiting it to uh, to individuals who earn uh, less than fifty thousand dollars as an individual, or a hundred thousand dollars if you're a married couple. So mm-hmm. it would be it would be those who uh, who need it the most, uh, those who might not have the resources in reserve uh, to 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 weather through um, a situation like this. I, I think that that's uh, you know one of the one of the things that's important uh, as you see these proposals. Senator Mitt Romney, for instance, said, "Let's mail everybody in the country a check for a thousand dollars." Well, you know, I think sometimes you know, I, I, you know everybody was like, "Wow, you know, that's 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 great, that's generous, let's do it." But then when it comes to actually looking to those who are most in need of that, uh, that's where probably the priority should go. And uh, and so far, it's been encouraging to see that lawmakers have have kept it temporary and targeted. But like I say, Bill, I think the coming days are going to, to really determine what this next phase looks like, and, uh, and, and that's what we'll be watching closely. Yeah. Rob, thank you so much for coming on and doing the show. I know you've got uh, family at home, and you're trying to do a lot today, so I appreciate uh, you very much. Thanks, Bill. I appreciate it. Thanks for getting the good news out and, uh, and making sure that your listeners are informed on the latest. Indeed. Rob Louie's been my guest, executive editor of The Daily Signal. Head over to DailySignal.com. We'll take a short break and be right back. I don't know where I'm going, but I'm on my way. Lord, if you love me, keep me, I pray. Sweetest time, not bottled on the table, but still hanging on the vine. I don't know where I'm going, but I'm on my way. Lord, if you love me, keep me, I pray.
right, here's part of a prayer known widely as morning prayer. St. Patrick is widely associated with uh, him and his ministry. It says, I rise today through God's strength to pilot me, God's might to uphold me, God's wisdom to guide me, God's eye to look before me, God's ear to hear me, God's word to speak to me, God's hand to guard me, God's way to lie before me, God's shield to protect me, God's host to save me, afar and near, alone or in a multitude. There's quite a bit of aloneness lately because we need to do social distancing, but uh, today is St. Patrick's Day and I'm I invited in my, my favorite guy who likes uh, Ireland as much as I do, <laughs> Dr. Greg Borgon. Between the two of us, we've been there 13 times, and yeah. we can hardly wait to go back. That's absolutely right. I wish I was there right now. <laughs> I know you do. <laughs> so do I. Broadcasting live from Dublin, <laughs> Afternoons with Bill Arnold, featuring Dr. Greg Borgon. We'll be here for f- four hours straight. <laughs> and be very happy, wouldn't we? Yeah, we would. Yeah. We would. Well, Greg, I invited you in because I, I always love to do Bible studies, and I love to just give people a chance to dig into God's Word and see what we can uh, learn from passages that we've studied many, many times. And I know you've done some work uh, recently on Romans chapter 1, and you've come up with some brilliant observations. Well, you know, even in a a day like today, you know, given the present state of the world, our country, our culture, um, this particular passage, Romans chapter 1, verse beginning with verse 18, to me, speaks volumes regarding the characteristics we're currently observing, which I, I could generally say is just absolute spiritual arrogance that people have or a sense that they have a control over the life. And certainly what we're having to deal with right now with regard to the pandemic shows us that we're not in control. And so this passage really speaks volumes to that issue. But as we look at this passage, what I'd like to kind of do is superimpose or overlay it with proper uh, Bible study methods. And I've been on your show before. We've talked about a three-step process, which is observation, you know, what is a passage really saying? Um, And then you move to interpretation, what does it mean? And then finally you move to application, what does it mean in general? What does it mean to me specifically? But today with this particular passage, what I think I'd like to do is focus on some observation techniques. The first one is called the five W's and H for this particular passage. And before we actually get in to read the passage, we need to know a little bit about the context of it. So the five W's and H, they begin with, first one is, who is involved? Well, we know, reading the letter itself, the book of Romans, that the Apostle Paul is the writer. And he's writing really to Christian Gentiles in Rome. The next W is, what is or are the event or events surrounding this letter? So Paul was actually on his third missionary journey. He was ready to return to Jerusalem with an offering for the poor. And so he pens this letter to the Romans because he's anticipating visiting them in the near future. Um, Scholars have said that this letter was probably written around 87 AD. And then the next W, where does it take place? He actually, they think, wrote it in Corinth. We get a kind of a hint of that if we look at Romans 16, 1 and 23. And it was really to be read to house churches in Rome. And at that time, we know there was at least, at least Romans 16 tells us, there was at least five house churches in Rome. When did it happen or why did it happen? He actually wrote it for three reasons. One was uh, to prepare the way for his coming visit to Rome um, and his proposed mission to Spain. The second reason is he wrote it as a letter to present the basic system of salvation to the church who hadn't received a teaching of uh, of an apostle before. 
And finally, he wanted to explain this, this relationship between the Jews and the Gentiles and God's overall plan of redemption. So how did it transpire? There's the H of the mm-hmm. five W's and H. A letter written to Corinth while he was preparing to go to Jerusalem and collect the offering. We already talked about that. He was anticipating coming to Rome eventually, and he wanted uh, to set the stage for that visit by kind of giving a, a basic theological framework. So when we look at Romans 1, 18 to, uh, through 32, just that specific part of the, the passage, you'll find that that part is addressed to Gentiles, and it's describing the current status of unbelieving Gentiles and to unbelievers in generally. And in essence, what he's saying is we're without excuse. Mm-hmm. So when we move to this second technique in, in the in observation that is trying to determine what did the passage really say, what we're looking for are things that are emphasized or things that are repeated, like in this passage. Um, what's being repeated is is that uh, God gave them over three times. Uh, things that are related, things that are alike, things that are un, uh, alike, those are some of the relationships. Things that are uh, that are true to life. We're looking for comparisons and contrasts, things like but or like, if we find that in the passage. Mm-hmm. Repetition, uh, connectedness, progression, even major or minor themes, cause and effect. Now, you're not going to find all of that in the passage, but what it forces you to do as you look at the passage is to ask questions you wouldn't normally ask of the passage so that you're making sure that when you go to the site of the passage, let's use that figuratively, you're collecting evidence. You're not making any general conclusions yet. You're just simply collecting all the evidence that's there. That. So let's take a look at the passage, beginning with verse 18. It starts off by saying, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Now, when we start applying some of these techniques or some of these questions about relationships, first of all, the first thing that grabs my attention, Bill, is the wrath of God. What is it referring to? Because when we think of wrath, it's, it's unfettered emotion that ends up erupting in some sort of rage. But we can't attribute to God personal qualities like that. It's another thing entirely for him. So in this particular passage, when you take a look at um, the information, you find that the word wrath in, his, in, in this sense denotes divine displeasure hmm. or indignation against sin. So it's the divine purpose is to inflict punishment to let us know there are consequences to our sin. It's a holy and just revulsion of what's contrary to and opposes his holy nature and will. So it's a little different than what we feel is just something that's going to erupt in just absolute rage. It's not that. Matter of fact, the word wrath appears over 35 times in the New Testament. So that's the first thing that grabs me about that first uh, verse. Another thing in that verse is being revealed. Whenever we look at a passage and we see a verb, we need to, to take a look at what kind of verb are we looking at. Are we looking at something that's punctiliar? In other words, happens at that moment and doesn't happen again? Or are we looking at something that's in the present that's an ongoing, continuing thing? Or are we looking at uh, something that's just in the future and not for the present? In this particular case, the phrase is being revealed is in the present ongoing tense. In other words, it's being continually revealed in an ongoing fashion. So the wrath wasn't just for those unbelieving Gentiles in Rome. It may have began with them in this particular context, but it continues on to any unbeliever. So in other words, what Paul is about to say um, applies to all unbelievers. 
So we move on and we say it is revealed to our reason and conscience. That's what it what it's really talking about uh, when he's saying it is being revealed. So if you're not a follower of Christ, it's not going to be revealed to the spirit who resides in you. It's going to reveal to God's um, components of general revelation. And one of those is our conscience, which is the aptitude or the faculty or intuition or judgment of the intellect that distinguishes right from wrong. It's that nagging voice inside that says, something's wrong here. It's not right. The complex of ethical and moral principles that controls or inhibits our actions or our thoughts of an individual, that's what we call the conscience. As a matter of fact, later on in Romans chapter 2, verses 14 through 15, it actually talks about the fact that we are given that conscience mm. that tells us what is right or wrong. Now, conscience can be warped. It can be calloused so that we are desensitized to right or wrong over time. But nevertheless, it's still there. It's, it's God's general revelation that there is um, a standard of proper behavior. Then the final phrase, and like I said, this first verse is just pregnant with all kinds of, of, of powerful meanings, suppress the truth. In other words, what, what, what it means there is to keep back or withhold or restrain or detain or hinder. And so when you start to ask yourself the question, who would want to suspe- uh, suppress the truth? Well, somebody who obviously doesn't want the truth to get out, that mm-hmm. one person or somebody who would rather that whatever they're doing remain hidden or wouldn't condemn them for what they're doing. So in essence, when we talk about suppression of truth is generally... Uh, used by people who are unwilling to abandon their life of sin. Mm-hmm. It could apply also to people who resolve to live in their sin, and they've made that commitment, and they they don't want their mind changed. People who demand their independence from God will suppress the truth. They certainly don't want to be called short, called up short for their behavior. People who are proud or are vain or are in love with the world, people who are greedy or deceitful or self-absorbed, even people who are currently enmeshed in and wickedness. So people like that don't want the truth getting out and they don't want to remind it because they've created their own truth. Mm-hmm. And we've always, always, you know, your truth is not my truth. Uh, that tells you right away that it's relative in nature. The truth that we're talking about here is the unalterable absolute truth of God's word. Then we move on to a couple of other verses, verses uh, beginning with verse 19 and, and going on with 20. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, Because God made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that our people are without excuse. One of the things I love about God's word is just isn't politically correct. It just tells you like it is. It should alarm you. It should call you up short. It should compel you to want to rethink how you're living your life. In this particular case, since he's dealing with unbelieving uh, Gentiles and unbelievers uh, in general, for that matter, he's talking about the conscience, not only the conscience as a member of the of general revelation, but he's also talking about his creation. He's talking about the conscience. He's talking about the fact that there is this sense of, of right and wrong, even though we might warp it. So general revelation, in essence, is different from special revelation. General revelation refers to the general truths that can be known about God through nature, like, for instance, creation, the fact that all of us are created in the image of God, whether we're committed to Christ or not. Mm -hmm. We bear in our person, you know, that flair of the inspired, that 
manifests itself maybe as a as a blip on the radar screen on occasion or is covered by the bad decisions that we make, but nevertheless, we've all been created in his image, and it's our conscience. Special revelation, on the other hand, which this passage is not dealing with, deals refers to the more specific truths that can be known by God through the supernatural, that is, through the Spirit of God uh, that lives within us, Jesus, the Bible, the work of the Holy Spirit in essence. So that's what's meant by special revelation. So this passage right here, verses 19 and 20, in terms of what may be known about God is plain to them, is talking about general revelation, those things that are right in front of us Mm -hmm. that we have a tendency to ignore. Um, May be known or plain to them. In other words, what's plain to us is is the fact of his existence, even though we'll try to talk ourselves out of that, Uh, his attributes, uh, power, his wisdom, his justice, even though it's sometimes a, a sober reminder of what we're doing wrong. One of my favorite Bible scholars, J.I. Packer, comments about this issue. He says, when God made man, he communicated to him or her qualities corresponding to his moral attributes. This is what the Bible means when it tells us, this is Packer speaking, that God made man, meaning both men and women, in his own image. Namely, that God made man and woman woman, a free spiritual being, a responsible moral agent with powers of choice and action, able to commune with him and respond to him, and by nature good, truthful, holy, and upright until the fall, of course, until that image was marred and was resurrected again at the cross through the work of Christ. goes on to say, in a word godly, we're familiar with the thought that our bodies are like machines needing the right routine of food, rest, and exercise if they're to run efficiently and liable if filled up with the wrong fuel, alcohol, drugs, or poison, for instance, to lose their power of healthy functioning and ultimately to seize up entirely in physical death. Now, here's the key point. What we're perhaps slower to grasp is that God wishes us to think of our souls in a similar way. As rational person, persons, we are made to bear God's moral image. That is, our souls were made to run on the practice of worship, law-keeping, truthfulness, honesty, discipline, self-control, and service to God and others. That's what's rubbing against our behavior in terms of the conscience that God gives us. It, he goes on to say, if we abandon these practices, not only do we incur guilt before God, we're also progressively destroying our souls. Conscience atrophies, it shrinks up. The sense of shame dries up. Our capacity for truthfulness, loyalty, and honesty is eaten away. One's character disintegrates. One not only becomes desperately miserable, he says, one is becoming steadily dehumanized. So, That's what we're talking about. Wow, what a start, Greg. Let me take a little break. Dr. Greg Borgon is my guest, and uh, we're doing a deep dive dive into Romans 1. We'll be right back. I'm so glad to have Dr. Greg Borgon in studio, and we are doing a nice deep dive on Romans chapter 1, portion of it. And Greg, that uh, that comment by J.I. Packer is amazing. Yeah. Well, you know, it, when you're wired that way and when you... I, I got an interesting illustration. I took some men one time up to the Clark Fork River in Montana uh, to fish for trout and... Uh, did you leave the them there or bring them back? <laughs> I brought them back. You did, okay. All of them came back safely, I'm, I'm anxious to say. But anyway, after one of those excursions that day, I decided to cook for them. 
the trout that we had caught. And once we did, of course, dishes had to be done. And so I went ahead and put all the dishes in the dishwasher, and I went looking for dishwasher soap, and and I screwed around the closet, and I found, oh, there's Tide. That should work. <laughs> so I took the Tide, and I put it in the dishwasher, mm-hmm. closed it up and started it. And so I go right outside the kitchen door and sit down. I'm talking to my men, and their eyes are getting bigger after about 10 minutes, and they see this wave of bubbles coming out of the kitchen into the the living room. And I didn't realize that it was special soap you're supposed to put in those things. Yeah. So I went ahead and put in the wrong thing. And it, that's what Packer's really talking about. If we're meant to run on certain things and then we fuel our bodies with other things than what God intended for us to fuel and to grow them uh, with regard to, to spiritual growth, then is it any doubt that we're going to seize up in terms of our ability to think clearly or to to act uh, honorably or to live a godly life, I, it just goes against um, the way in which God originally wired us. Yeah, and my listeners thought you were really smart up until 60 seconds ago. <laughs> Why is that? Oh, well, because of the... Yeah. <laughs> well, we all do stupid things, yeah. right? God reminds us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right, we'll, we'll pick this up in verse 21 here of Romans chapter 1. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being in birds and animals and reptiles. In other words, we refuse to go ahead and submit to the lordship of Christ, to the authorship of our creator, and so we create our own universe, our own gods, often putting ourselves on the pedestal. So he says, Paul says, for although they knew God, they neither glorified God or gave thanks to him, but they think it became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. And we've been on the show before talking about what the Bible means by the heart, which is referred to over 800 times in the Bible. It has to do with our central beliefs, our core values, our worldview, and our motives. So what happens is, is that what used to be very clear to us all of a sudden becomes gray or foggy, and we become, our, our, our thinking is no longer clear. It becomes futile, and, it, and our reasoning becomes darkened. And that's what Paul is referring to when we refuse, with, uh, given the revelation we had received, in this case, general revelation, we denied it, or we've shunted it to the corner, kicked it to the curb, and are building our own universe. And so he goes on to say, although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images of themselves. Yeah, that's verse 22. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. Yeah. That sounds like uh, a verse for today. Absolutely. Isn't it interesting how many times you listen to people who deny the existence of God and claim they have a corner on truth and uh, will make anything said of the Word of God look foolish when they in turn are the ones that are really the fools. Mm -hmm. So when we apply again these basic um, techniques of observation uh, and these relationships we're talking about right now, there's there's a progression that happens in this whole passage of uh, Romans 1, 18 through um, 32. First, it starts with a suppression of the truth, which we read about in verse 18 which results in a gradual disintegration of our capacity to think fluidly and Mm -hmm. lucidly. So we end up thinking in a futile way. 
verse 21. What does futile mean again? Futile means uh, wasted, useless. Okay. Uh, that it's it's effort that's that's not going to gain anything. Yeah, video games. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that moves into a darkened heart, our ability to to know what to believe, what to value, to see the world as God sees it, to be motivated by the things that matter to the heart of God. Um, that becomes darkened. And then we submit ourselves to things we can touch and feel, which are sensual pleasures, we find in verse 24. Mm -hmm. Then we move into shameful lusts, verse 26. Then we end up resulting, we we have depraved minds, it says, in verse 28. And then we get engaged in verses 29 through 31 in rampant wickedness. And you can see the downward spiral. Yeah, you sure can. For Christians, by the way, Ephesians chapter 4, beginning with verse 17, talks about the downward spiral for Christians, in other words, we can we can engage in a similar pattern like this. This is directed primarily to non-Christians. In Ephesians four is directed to Christians. You'll see a similar pattern that moves through these particular steps, and you wouldn't know that unless you spent some time studying the Bible and mm-hmm. especially studying this passage. Because when you finally did get to Ephesians four, wait, you'd say, "Wait a minute, I read something like this before," and you'd realize, "Yeah, it was in Romans chapter one, but it was for non-Christians there." But Ephesians is talking to Christians. Verse 24, therefore God gave them over. This is the first of three times he says this in this passage. God gave them over into the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worship and serve created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. So, first of all, you have this term, therefore. There's a connection. There's a connective. Mm-hmm. When you take a look at these techniques, this is a connection. If they put it, therefore, you got to find out what some have said, what's it there for? So, you have to go back and find out what it's referring to. So, everything that preceded this verse in chapter 1, beginning with verse 18, preceded this verse of 24, leads now into what happens after verse 24. The first of these three occurrences, God gave them over. So what what does that really mean? We find it also in verse 26, and we find it in verse 28. What that simply means is, is that if we insist on having our own way and to living life on our own terms, to live it on a horizontal plane devoid of any vertical relationship with our Creator, thinking that we have it in control, if we choose to do that, God will give us over to it. He'll say, okay, if you insist on living this way, I am going to let you live that way, but you are not going to enjoy the destination you reach having done so. Mm. So he's just simply saying to them, as it really is an act of punishment, all right, if you insist on doing this, I'm going to give you over to it. So in other words, he's abandoning them or he ceased to restrain them. And he's permitting them or even tolerating them to act out of, uh, out their thoughts, their feelings, their desires, their emotions, and to express them in their life. He's allowing sin to run its course as an act of judgment. Because if you start playing with sin, it's ultimately going to start playing with you. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what God knew and understood. That's why he says he's given them over. He did not and does not exert any positive influence on causing them to sin. I don't want our hearers to think that that might be the case. Instead, he allows them to act on their propensities. That is their tendencies or their inclinations that are already ingrained in them or their predispositions. Then in verse 26, 
He goes on to say, because of this, God gave them over. There's the second time to shameful lust. First, he said God gave them over to sinful desires. Now he's saying God gave them over to shameful lust. Uh, Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones in the same way. Men also um, abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over now to a depraved mind. Notice the progression. First to sinful desires, then to shameful lusts. Now he gave them over to a depraved mind so that they do what ought not to be done. Verse 29, they have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, depravity. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They're gossip, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. So in other words, these are ultimate behaviors, characteristics. Then in verse 32, the last verse, um, although they knew God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. So there we have it. So what are the possible applications? Very quickly, there's, this is the way of the world, the wide gate. Many compromises will lead to maximum compromises. When sin goes unabated, its shrill voice grows louder. Every Expect consequences for winful sin, willful sin. Although grace is unmerited, it's not unlimited. And finally, we're responsible for the revelation we have wow, received. What a teaching. Thank you so much, Dr. Greg Borgon. Thanks my for guest. listening. You're Programming go back and hear like this, this is made available. Again, we'll your take a short break and we'll be right back. Information available at myfaithradio.com. <laughs> 